Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 10th, 2022, including Halo Infinite Season 2 has finally been announced, plus everyone is pissed about how 343 have been handling the live service aspect of this live service game, talent is becoming increasingly hard to find in the games industry, will we finally see Perfect Dark this summer, and more. Welcome, welcome to episode 144 of the Xbox On Podcast. Hey, hey. You know, right before I started recording, I was just looking over, you know, the news of final time. I always, right before I hit record every every time, I always run through the big sites I refer to real quick just to see, did anything break? You know, did Phil Spencer just announce his retirement? You know, is Microsoft about to buy the Coca-Cola company? What did I miss, you know? And it's just every, every site is just so flooded right now with Batman this, Batman that, and I gotta be honest with you guys, I'm really excited to see this Batman movie, and that is unusual for me, because I just, historically, I've just never found either Batman or Superman to be interesting characters, I've always found them to be, like, incredibly boring, and uh, for some reason, something has awoken in me, especially in the past year, where all of a sudden, I'm just, like, really, you know, not like a huge fan, like, I've always, definitely, you know, it'll never hit Spider-Man levels of interest for me, but... I've definitely become very interested in these characters, more specifically Batman. Like last year I watched, randomly I just watched all the DC Universe movies and watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League and all this shit for some fucking reason. I somehow found 20 hours to dedicate to catching up on like Shazam and Birds of Prey or whatever it's called. and All these fucking movies I just never thought I'd watch and I quite enjoyed them. Now I understand this new Batman movie. It's nothing to do with that because DC just cannot figure out what the fuck they're doing with their movie lineup. But this movie looks very good nonetheless, and it seems like everyone is really enjoying it. And thankfully for me, I've managed to stay completely in the dark about it. I didn't really watch any trailers, nor do I have any interest in learning much about it. I just know I want to see it. I liked Twilight when I was younger. I'm ready for this. I want to see the vampire Batman in action. So I know many of you have probably already seen it, probably pretty excited about it. So keep your spoilers to yourselves, you dirty thieves. I'm uh, I'm going to go see it Saturday if all goes well. We'll have to wait and see. But guys, this isn't a Batman podcast. No, contrary to the fact that there are Batman games that exist on Xbox, this is actually more about Xbox than it is Batman. So let's talk about Xbox. Xbox is a video game platform uh, made by the, the one American video game maker uh, of consoles. And Bill Gates used to work there. And for some reason, people always uh, talk about Bill Gates when you bring up Microsoft, even though he hasn't worked for the company in a long time. But Xbox is cool because it has Halo, and Halo Infinite is frustrating the hell out of people right now. So speaking of Halo Infinite, I want to talk about Halo Infinite because I feel like, you know, there was so much Halo going on last year. We were so excited about it. I was so excited about it. I feel like there was a palpable excitement in this audience. We were all talking about Halo. And then Infinite kind of came out, had a huge splash, and then kind of fucked off real quietly and real quick. 
And uh, we got we got to talk about it. We got, obviously, the most important franchise to the Xbox brand, or at least historically, and definitely my favorite Xbox franchise. Some stuff going on in the news, so I'm excited to get into that. But first, guys, let's talk about some stories of mild amusement slash corrections slash updates. So I don't have any corrections because, you know, as, as I've said in the past, I'm fucking perfect. I get nothing wrong all the time. Amazing. But we do have some updates to prior stories as well as some stories of mild amusement. I'd just like to touch on before we really dive into the meat and potatoes of this. You know, people always say potatoes. Why? It's not potatoes. It's potatoes. Oh, you know, the meat and potatoes of this episode. So first, I want to mention a story about, unfortunately, we just got to keep talking about this fucking Activision Blizzard stuff because it will just never, ever, 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 ever get not ugly. So the Wall Street Journal had a report, and this is the IGN transcribe transcription of it, but the Wall Street Journal had a report on the Activision Blizzard deal with Microsoft, and this isn't so much related to anything Microsoft did, but more so something relating to Activision investors. Let's just read it. Okay, so three investors are being investigated for inside trading in relation to Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The Wall Street Journal reports that Barry Diller, Alexander von Furstenberg, and David Geffen invested around $108 million in Activision Blizzard just days before Microsoft acquired the company and the shares shot up in value. Now, the investment has climbed $268 million and could be worth upwards of $200 million if they keep their shares until Microsoft's deal closes later in the year. The investments were made by privately arranged transactions through J.P. Morgan Chase and Company and were later reported the trades to law enforcement after the deal became public. This prompted the U.S. Department of Justice and SEC to both open investigations into the matter. Of course, inside trading for those uninitiated, the process of buying and selling stocks with confidential or non-public information, usually with the intention to make as much money as possible. The practice is, of course, illegal, although it happens all the time, usually by lawmakers and high-up business people because the government is not corrupt. Wink, wink. Diller has described himself as a long-term friend of Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick and has served on the Coca-Cola board of directors with him. Von Furstenberg is the stepson of Diller, and Geffen is another longtime friend of the group. Diller told the Wall Street Journal that none of the men have inside information about Microsoft's impending acquisition of Activision Blizzard and said that this was all just a lucky bet and a coincidence. While no inside trading uh, has been proven as of yet, this is the latest in a long line of controversies surrounding Activision Blizzard in the last few months. So the latest and greatest. When it's not sexually harassing the females or discriminating based on gender or race or you know, celebrating and, and objectifying a fucking employee who murdered themselves uh, or, you know, having the CEO threaten to kill his assistant, it's it's people closely tied to the company or insiders or, or, or rather investors doing illegal investing practices just to make a quick buck because they're shady scummy sacks of shit and uh all the more reason why it's disgusting that microsoft is getting so involved with this company but i know i know i know xbox is going to be the white knight and save activision i know that's how we're supposed to believe but uh you know this is just the late nothing to say this is just something you should be aware of i think we sh people should be aware of in relation to the deal with microsoft and activision but just the latest in a long long line of disgusting slimy scummy shit and the other update relating to the story that occurred this week, and this is a briefer one, Activision's CEO Bobby Kotick has announced that he's stepping down from the Coca-Cola company's board of directors. He served with them since 2012, so about a decade now, and said that he won't be up for re-election because he intends to dedicate more of his time to Activision Blizzard as the company 
you know, tr- goes into its transition of aqu- being acquired by Microsoft. It was announced in January, of course, that the purchase would take place. $68.7 billion, for those who don't remember the shock of the other month, of, of January this year. And this is, of course, still to this day, the games industry's biggest acquisition by a long shot. So we got Bobby Kotick finally stepping down from the Coca-Cola board directors. I would have preferred to see him denied re-election or something rather than him stepping down voluntarily, but beggars can't be choosers. It's always good to see him have less influence over the world, especially the world's most powerful and influential uh, beverage brand. So that's that's good. But uh, inside trading. So there, there are your updates of the week on Activision. No, it can never be something fun like Activision is making a new game that is fun to play or Activision is uh, treating its female employees with respect and dignity. No, no, no. The story's always got to be uh, someone got raped or did a bad thing or made money and uh, Bobby Kotick is an asshole. So whatever. There's your update for the week. Now, let's get away from that. I want to start with that because that's the sad, not fun news. And now we can jump into the others. Oh, actually, we're, we're not out of the woods <laughs> just yet because now we got to talk about Russia, unfortunately. So we got to talk about this because Microsoft has uh, taken a economic stance in regarding the whole Russia invading and going to war with Ukraine. So this directly involves Microsoft and Xbox. <laughs> Gotta mention it. So as relayed by VGC, Microsoft have announced that they'll stop selling their products and services in Russia. In a new statement by Microsoft President and Vice Chair Brad Smith, the announcement was made that Microsoft will no longer do business in that nation while it continues to invade Ukraine. Quote, like the rest of the world, we are horrified, angered, and saddened by the images and the news coming from the war in Ukraine and condemn this unjustified, unprovoked, and unlawful invasion by Russia. Smith said, we are announcing today that we will suspend all new sales of Microsoft products and services in Russia, end quote. And now I want to, before we just jump into that, I want to just lightly touch on that. But before we do, let me read that up against this because Microsoft was definitely not the first to make this announcement. And this is in a long suit of of companies making similar announcements. So I want to read this little piece by gamesindustry.biz that has some statistics and numbers Um Pertaining to how the videos, video game industry at large is responding to this war in, in uh, Ukraine. So gamesindustry.biz posted earlier today that for the past week, some of the biggest names in video games have been halting the sales, all sales in Russia as a response to the country's invasion, invasion of Ukraine. Microsoft, Take-Two, Ubisoft, EA, Activision Blizzard, Epic Games, CD Projekt Red, Bloober Team, Supercell, CI Games have all actively taken a stance while others are complying with economic sanctions. Actually, at the, at the at the time of this recording, Sony just announced that they're joining, and I believe Nintendo is as well. Anyway, while these companies are complying with the economic sanctions imposed by the EU and U.S., as well as other nations. Twitch even jumped on board. For example, they've informed Russian streamers that they would no longer be able to receive payments or be able to make purchases if their account was linked to one of the Russian banks, one of the Russian banks affected by the sanctions with the U.S. But let's talk about the broader context. So how big are video games in Russia? And just how much business do these companies forgo by making these moves? IDG Consulting, consulting group, shared estimates for 2021 games revenue in Russia with GamesIndustry.biz, saying that Market that market in Russia generated about $3.4 billion last year. The bulk of that, as with any market, stems from mobile gaming and PC, but console revenue estimated about $846 million of that of that $3.4 billion pie, with the majority believing to come from digital services from like the Microsoft Shop and e- Nintendo eShop and stuff like that. Some companies have also cut off Belarus, the nation that borders both Russia and the Ukraine, through which Russia military is also able to enter the latter country. And then with Newzoo, with Newzoo estimating that market spent 
$101 million on video games in 2021. IDG also shared estimates for gaming revenue from the entirety of the European of Europe amounting to $51.5 billion. Russia accounts for 6% of all spending on video games across the continent, including 8% of all money spent on mobile games and 12% PC revenue. So that all sounds boring, I know, because it's just numbers, numbers, numbers. But this is basically what this comes down to as news do reports here. Russia is the sixth biggest market in Europe and the 15th biggest in the world when it comes to gaming. The audience represents 80 million players, not, you know, at any one, at any given time, not all active at once, but, you know, 80 million players in some form or fashion attached to the spending and purchasing of video game content. Uh, Nuzu also mentioned that Grand Theft Auto V is the third biggest game in Russia in terms of monthly active users. So by take two bowing out, that's a huge amount of money they're leaving on the table. So I want to talk about this, these two stories together, just to say, I know a lot of people right now are really championing this, this line of sanctions. And I, uh, I want to say this. I'm not necessarily picking a side here. I just want to kind of present some information because I personally, if I'm being honest, I feel a little torn about this whole idea of sanctions. Now, I understand it's a whole different discussion. We're going to talk about like, you know, sanctions on like Russian banks and things like that and how that affects more directly the economy and, and hits Russia a little more where it hurts when you're talking about trying to make an impact up the up the ladder and you know, get the attention of people like, like Vladimir Putin. But if we're talking about video games, it's a, it's a little bit of a different story when we're talking about entertainment. And so we see, we see this happening all over the entertainment industry and with just personal goods and and services where companies are pulling out. And I don't inherently disagree with this or hate this idea. I I, I do respect, especially if it comes from a genuine place, um, this idea that like, Hey, we're not going to support this. We don't want to we don't want to sell our products and services knowing that that will generate revenue for your country, which will help fund your war. I understand that line of thinking and I respect that, but I can't help but feel like, you know, you think about Russia, it's like they have a massive fucking war chest. You think about Vladimir Putin, he has access to basically uncapped wealth and can fund this war for a very, very, very long time. And whether, you know, Russian gamers are able to play Grand Theft Auto Five online or not, this man's going to be able to fund this fucking senseless war as long as he wants to, unfortunately. And so by especially entertainment companies participating in these sanctions, I understand that they're trying to send a message and maybe it's not so much the monetary effects that will be felt as a result of them, their withdrawal from, from Russia, but more so the the kind of stance it makes and the attention it draws to the situation. And so again, I really do respect that and I do admire that, but I feel bad because I feel like a big part of this this terrifyingly horrific unfortunate event is that 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 keeps going unnoticed and undiscussed is the fact that the russian people largely do not want this to be this war to happen they don't want to be involved in it they don't want to be put in war they don't want to kill their neighbors in ukraine they no one wants this most people most russians like most people in the world just want peace and so the the fact that these companies all around the world are sanctioning kind of more trivial things that really don't make a huge economic impact or, or make the biggest economic impact to the, the these nations' governments, militaries, and such, you know, they're making the the people of these nations suffer as a result of their withdrawal. Where as we see the numbers, as VGC is reporting about just how prominent these these publishers and these these games are in these countries and in how popular GTA online is and all these things. And obviously a lot of these decisions are easy for these companies to make because they don't have a way of getting their money that they make in Russia out anyway, because of the bank situation. So it's like, 
whatever, you know, if you're a company like Disney or whatever, you're just like, hey, yeah, yeah, we're not going to release our movies in Russia because we care or whatever. It's like fucking assholes. You're only doing that because even if you could put your fucking movies in Russian theaters, you wouldn't have a way of getting your profits out because everything's tied up with their bank system right now. So you're fucked either way. So they can just kind of do this as like a, a little like PR performance piece where they're just like, yeah, we're doing the right thing. It's like, fuck you. This is about money. But you know, that those kinds of circumstances aside, I just feel like this is not necessarily the way to go about this because you think about a time like what it would be like to be your average just Russian civilian right now and the kind of you know the kind of association you're this that is thrust upon you as a result of just simply being a human being who was born raised and currently exists in the nation of Russia and it sucks like there's the fear of what could happen next of of you and your loved ones safety being compromised of you being drafted for war or pulled into this war or this conflict you know your economy completely fucking collapsing around you life is falling apart and changing rapidly and it's terrible and obviously i'm not trying to say it's worse for russians than it is for ukrainians it's not even remotely the picture i'm trying to paint it's just that i i, I want to put out there again it's like when the U.S. decided to swing their stupid fucking dick around and go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan and all this shit. It's like, we don't... Unfortunately, Americans are stupid enough and bought enough bad media that for a long time people did want that war. But for the most part, and, and for the longest part of that war, most people did not want to be involved in those conflicts and did not want to be uh, terrorizing those countries because, of course, in those events, the U.S. were the terrorists. And it, a similar situation is playing out here where, of course, Vladimir Putin, that sack of shit, is a terrible man doing a terrible thing. But the people of Russia are not terrible people, and they do not want to be involved in this. Much like how the U.S. didn't want to be involved in our most recent wars, they just want to get the fuck out and not have to deal with this and be able to play their goddamn Fortnite. And the fact that now these people have to suffer even further because their bank situation is fucked up, their economy is fucked up, their safety is compromised, they may have to be involved in this really horrific war that they want no part of. Now, on top of that, we're taking away their coping mechanism, their escapism, their entertainment. By being like, yeah, you can't have that movie in your country. Yeah, you can't have access to this video game in your country. I just want to put that out there because I know a lot of people are like, hell yeah, good on these companies for, you know, being willing to give up the potential to make money to do the right thing and take a stance. Unfortunately, I wish that were the case, but unfortunately, nothing's ever that cut and dry. There's always there's always an ulterior motive, and I, I just can't help, you know, being a little bit of a cynical person, I just can't help but feel like this isn't really like companies like Microsoft doing the right thing, quote-unquote. This is more like, uh, there's no real way for us to make money in this situation anyway, so like, let's do the PR performative thing and, and, and make ourselves look good, and then... Um, you know, the Russian people can suffer because Vladimir Putin sure as hell ain't going to suffer or be able to, or, or be stopped in his efforts to continue to terrorize and invade the Ukraine over the fact that the people of Russia can't play fucking Ghost of Tsushima or Gears of War 5. You know, that that has nothing to do with him and his war efforts, unfortunately. So I don't know. I just want to put again, I'm not trying to take a stance here, although I'm sure this sounds slanted to some of you. I mean, who, who gives a shit, right? Who the fuck agrees with war? It's not like there's any really this isn't like Democrats versus Republicans. Like who the fuck wants a war? So I, I don't even feel bad about what I'm saying. I just want to put these ideas out there and just let it be known that I don't know. I, I, I as much as I appreciate the attempt or the potential intention to try to not have a guilty hand in funding and fueling this war uh, on the on the behalf of these Western co companies that aren't doing business in Russia. I can't help but just feel sad that, you know, if I were in a time like this, 
you know, and I, if I were a Russian person living through a time like this, I like to think that now more than ever might be a time where I just need a coping mechanism or a form of escapism. And so now would be a pretty shit time to lose access to my Xbox and all my games and all my things that help me disassociate from the really scary bullshit in the real world. So I guess that's all I'm trying to say. But there's that. But now we're out of the woods with all the sad, scary, and unfortunate news. Fuck you, Activision. Fuck you, Russia. Fuck you, Vladimir Putin. And let's hey, let's talk about something, uh, something exciting. Let's type back to the top of the show. Batman. You guys know him. You guys maybe love him. Don't fall in love with him. He's a billionaire. He's probably a fucked up guy. But anyway, VGC report or not. But anyway, <laughs> today Warner Bros. Games uh, surprise announced they just dropped that shit on Twitter. Hey, October twenty fifth, two thousand twenty two. Mark your fucking calendars because Gotham Knights is finally coming out. So Gotham Knights finally has another solid release date. It's not a not a vague year window. It's a solid concrete date. Hopefully they hit it. Yeah, WB Games Montreal haven't put out a game. God, I think I think the last game they can't remember last time they put out a game. It's been like seven or eight. Years. It's been like seven or eight years for this developer. So it's really good to see them finally doing something. But October twenty fifth, we have a date. I'm again, I'm looking forward to this game. Like I just to tie it to the top of the show again. I don't know what's come over me, but like I have a serious interest in playing this game. It looks now, I I think Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League looks a lot more interesting than this. But I think Gotham Knights also looks pretty cool. I recently purchased the Arkham Trilogy on sale. I'm looking forward to getting into that shit. I, I started on Arkham Asylum, but I need to get back to it. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking to kind of catch up in the Batman games sphere, uh, much like I have recently done with the movies. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got my uh, I've got my eye set on this game now. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully it hits that date. It's a good game. Pleases people. Doesn't come out in a, uh, a month where we're getting 500,000 fucking games like this past February. I don't know. Exciting news. October 25th. The world might be completely destroyed by then, thanks to Russia, but at least we'll have Gotham Knights. All right, guys, with that out of the way, we're done. We're done with the top of the show. Updates, mild amusement, sad shit. I didn't do anything wrong, so we had no corrections. But guys, let's take a breather before we get into the real news and just talk about some comments. You know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. You go, you go to the latest episode of the podcast. You leave a comment. You say anything you want. We'll read it on the air. I don't get shit what you say. You can say, Jesse, you look like you have SIDS. And I'll say, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm way past uh, infant age, so I don't know what that means. But I'm going to read it on the, co- on, the, on the comment section because, uh, honestly, fewer people have been commenting as of late, and I'm kind of desperate for content. So thank you very much. Or you can say something real nice like, Jesse, uh, glad, you, glad you're doing the podcast still. Uh, 144 weeks in a row. That is crazy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten diarrhea while you were uh, podcasting? And I'll say that's a little personal. Thanks for the, good, thanks for the kind words. Let's read it on the air. Anyway, no one wrote that in this week. So our first comment this week comes from a, a new commenter, possibly a spam account. I'm not quite sure. Eric Bateman says, how do you do that on Xbox? Eric, I appreciate your philosophical question. I hope everyone will take some time to dwell on this throughout their week. Um, thank you very much for writing in. Elden Ring. A couple of you guys wrote in about Elden Ring, starting with none other than the OG, everyone's favorite, possibly God's favorite. I don't know yet. Dead Captain James, who writes in, says, I've been a Soulsborne hater for years, but Elden Ring has changed my mind. I know it's a lot of recency bias, but damn, it might be the best game I've 
ever played. No hyperbole. Uh, side note: I used to read that as hyperbole when I was uh, when I was in middle school because I'm a fucking idiot. Anyway, continuing on, it's anything but an empty, lifeless open world. It's meticulously handcrafted with just the right amount of enemies and exploration. I am legit in love with this game and performance with the variable refresh rate on Series X is pretty damn great. Dead Captain James, I am. I gotta say, maybe not shocked, but pleased to see that you're enjoying this game so much as an avid Soulsborne hater as well. I I find myself coming across lots of comments recently, like yours, where people are like, yo, I hate, I hate these Soulsborne, I hate Demon Souls, I hate Dark Souls, fuck these games, I hate uh, Soulsborne, and um, then they level Elden Ring. I don't, I don't know what there is to, the, the thing is, I understand, it's like, until I play it, I can't really understand or speak to it, so I get that, I respect that. But it's just the fact that, like, this is just a Dark Souls game in an open world setting. So how the fuck does that change everything that sucks about a Dark Souls game into making it amazing? You know, so, like, I guess I'm just confused on that. I'm just like, how does just changing it from a more linear experience to an open world experience, but otherwise keeping the momentum on gameplay intact, how does how does that change something from being unplayable or too difficult or too off-putting to one of the greatest games of all time. And I just, I, I need to figure out what this is about. So I know last week I was being a little harder on the game. I have since made the promise to myself that I will play Elden Ring. I will absolutely give this game a try. The thing is, I'm still like 98% sure that I'm going to hate it and rage quit. And so I refuse to buy it at $60. But inevitably, this game will either end up in Game Pass or I'll buy it on sale for like 20, 30 bucks. So when one of those, you know, whatever comes first, whenever that time comes, I plan on buying Elden Ring, giving it a shot because this is this seems like the next Zelda Breath of the Wild where it's, it, no one will shut up about how great this game is. And I'm inclined to believe, you know, even if I don't end up walking away from it, saying, wow, one of the greatest games ever made, there's got to be at least something here that I will find to appreciate um, because th there's just no way the whole world is just conspiring against me to talk this product up just to find out it actually sucks. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. My interest has been peaked enough to where I cannot resist. I have to try Elden Ring. Dead Captain James, the fact that you are enjoying it lets me know that I, I am safe to give it a try. So I do appreciate it. Glad to hear you're enjoying it and keep up. Uh, keep up. Keep up the work because here's the thing is all these people saying, I like Elden Ring. It's a good game. How many of you guys are actually going to finish this thing? Because it looks like a fucking difficult game. Now, speaking of Elden Ring, my brother Josiah writes in and says, I've been playing Elden Ring on the Xbox Series X, and as of now, happy to report zero bugs or anything. FPS drops a little bit like once. But otherwise, it's been perfectly fine and inferior to Dark Souls 3. Ooh, Kronky coming in with all the spicy takes. Now, keep in mind, Kronky is on the... He's in the very, very, very small camp of people who thinks Dark Souls 2 is the best Dark Souls game. So, I don't know why that's controversial because I don't play these games, uh, but I, I know it's a controversial take none nonetheless. So, guys, feel free to attack Kronky for that. Now, let's get out of the Elden Ring territory because I can feel my ears getting pointy like an elf and my, my tail growing in like an uh, what, what's a fantasy character, an elk? Or elk's fantasy characters? I don't know. Taco Bell. Let's write it. Let, let's, let's see what Wes H. has to say on Taco Bell. He writes in and says... What's going on with Taco Bell? They are not selling loaded grillers anymore. I can't find those gems anywhere. Also, like an up, I'd like an update about your mother listening to your podcast and subsequently you are trying to, quote, watch your language. Lastly, Elden Ring is badass. Oh, Wes, you just had to bring up Elden Ring. Now, Wes, 
It is true the loaded grillers are gone from Taco Bell. I don't I don't know where you've been if you've been living under a rock or anything, but it's been it's been well over a month since they've since they've left. And so what I have to do is just school you a little bit and let you know what replaced the loaded grillers and, and what the situation currently is over there. Now they're calling it the new cravings menu as opposed to the cravings menu because they have overhauled quite a bit of it. But what they have now are these new burritos there's the beefy melt burrito which is basically the beefy loaded griller just not loaded griller it's it's a larger than the loaded griller was but it's not grilled so it's a little disappointing there's the chipotle ranch grilled chicken burrito if you don't want rice or beans it's salad basically instead it's actually pretty good but eh. and then there's a veggie one i haven't tried the veggie burrito yet they're all two dollars they're all bigger than loaded grillers but yes these are the things that replace the loaded grillers so i'm i'm sad to tell you the loaded grillers are no more. I think it's been that way for about two months now. Now, I can tell you with confidence, as I've tried them a couple times each, the Beefy Melt Burrito in particular, very, very good. The Chipotle Ranch Grilled Chicken Burrito, also pretty solid. Definitely worth at least one try. Um, but as much as I miss those grillers and I find it un unfathomable to, to consider the fact that we're in a world without them, um, this is just, you know, as Taco Bell fans... Um, we we know the struggle. We know what it's like to constantly be lost searching for a home because everything we love is taken away from us. It is Taco Bell's uh, is Taco Bell's promise to us. It is our birthright um, that everything we love will be removed from the menu. So Wes, I'm sorry to hear about your morning. Uh, feel free to DM me if you need some some kind of you know just a shoulder to lean on or something like that. But yeah, unfortunately they're gone now. As for my mom listening to the podcast, she hasn't commented in a long time, but she she does tell me that she listens. So I don't know. I can't hold her accountable. I don't I don't track her IP address or anything like that. But here's hoping she's listening because well, here's the thing: is my my mom has made it clear to me. She says she doesn't mind me cursing on the show, um, just as long as it's not directed at anyone. My, her thing is that cursing is fine as long as it's for emphasis or whatever. But you know, just don't be using it to like be mean to people, which is more or less how I feel about the about the subject as well. Which maybe just shows that I'm my my, my my mother's son. I don't know, fucking whatever. I just said the f word. Oops. Now, Wes, I think it's interesting that you commented with this, the timing in which you commented with it, rather, because I was uh, I was watching an old shoe on head video. Shout out to shoe on head. She's one of the, the all time great YouTubers. And I was watching one of her older videos, just a little throwback going down memory lane, and she was talking about how. Uh, unless it's for comedic effect or in like one of her videos, she actually also tries not to curse because she's like, oh yeah, I just think it sounds ugly. It's kind of just gross and, 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 and sounds like just unclassy. So I try not to curse generally. And I'm like, you know what? I used to have those exact same feelings. I remember back in the day, especially when I was a young boy, I used to feel very strongly about trying not to say curse words. It was along with my I'm straight edge and I think alcohol was bad kind of mentality. But I don't know. I, 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 uh, I lament the fact that uh, I, I let that slip away, or at least the, the language part, and I've allowed myself to loosely curse as much as I do because it is, it is a vocabulary crutch, and I know I have said I, I want to be better about it. So, Wes, I'm not here to tell you I'm going to I'm gonna reorient and try to get better at this, but what I am here to say is that, yes, you have caught me. Yes, I did make a promise and then did basically nothing to, to change. As I ask any girl I've ever dated, and they'll probably tell you that's typical of me. But, yeah, I am... <laughs> I need to watch my language. Wes, feel free to start a swear jar every time I say a naughty word that didn't need to be said. You know, it's like blatantly like just unnecessary insertion of a curse word. Feel free to start a jar. 
you know, and then bill me at the end of the month and be like, here are all the accounts of times you unnecessarily used a curse word, and then I had to Venmo you all the money. And if and if that's what it takes, Wes, I'm happy to do it. Maybe we can help put your future children through college with this money. I don't know. It might bankrupt me. Who fucking knows? We'll find out. It's exciting. The future is full of possibilities. But I'm glad to see you're also enjoying Elden Ring because you said, and also you said Elden Ring is badass. You literally tell me to watch my language and then follow it up with Elden Ring is badass. Why can't you just say, lastly, Elden Ring is really swell. Come on, Wes. Practice what you preach. All right. Let's round out the comments. Uh, not round out. Let's let's get to our second to last subject matter of the comments where I know you guys don't care. I see the Twitch. I see the Twitch views. This game's only getting about 35 views a day or, or, or concurrent views at a time, rather. And no one's playing the game on Xbox Live. I see my my matchmaking times are going up and up and up. My pinging's increasing. I know, but I love this game, so goddamn, we're going to talk about it. Crossfire X, way of the Lao. You know him, you love him, and if you don't, I'll make you. He says, yo, 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 hope everyone's doing well. Best wishes to everyone and their families. Damn, bro, why you got to be so harsh? I mean, this isn't Xbox Cronky. It's Xbox On. Nah, it's okay, man. I really don't even know what you're talking about, way of the Lao. Each person has the kinds of games they want to play, and that they should, and that should be respected. But, uh, oh, you're responding to a comment from last week. Anyway, but maybe you should change up the stream. Maybe some Crossfire X instead of Call of Duty, and you're not going into the movies alone. It should be a lady's choice this time. Take care, bro. Best wishes. Okay, wait, allow. I can address all of these things because we've talked about this on the stream multiple times. My capture card completely shit the bed. I told you. First, my cat broke my Surface Pro, sent it to Microsoft, got a replacement. My Surface Pro is back. That was my capture device. That was the laptop I used for capturing footage. But then I got my new Surface and boom, my capture card broke. And I really don't want to drop the money on a new capture card. So that's the situation we're in. This is why I've exclusively been streaming PC games. And as you know, Crossfire X is not available on PC. So that's why we're still playing COD Zombies and Halo Infinite and the like instead of Crossfire X like I would prefer to be playing because my capture card broke. Now, if you guys want to start a GoFundMe, get Papa Jesse a new capture card. I'm not going to say no, but I'm also not here for handouts. So, so, so I'm not going to say F you because Wes said I got to watch my language. But S-C-R-E-W-U, because let me mourn the loss of my capture card, will you? Now, ladies' choice for the movies? Well, what, what we say at the top of the show? I'm looking forward to Batman. Guess what? My girlfriend also wants to see Batman. It's a win-win. We're going to hopefully see it on Saturday. Knock on wood if all goes well. So, look at that. We both win. Way the loud. Get some sleep. I know you got to wake up early for work. Mr. Miggy writes in and says, All right, Jesse. I have Crossfire X, and I gave it a try, and you were right. The game is fun. I tried both modern and classic mode. Enjoyed them both. Classic it definitely takes... Classic definitely does make me think of Counter-Strike Go. I did have to crank up the sensitivity, though, to play properly. Oh, you got it. You got to put the sensitivity of, of, like, 20 points since since the last update. Anyway, I need to play the game with you. Also, have you heard about Disney wanting to develop residential communities? Yes. It's some other company doing the residential community. Disney's basically just lending them IP and Imagineer talent to help do it. Whatever. It's disgusting. It's very expensive homes. They, I'm sure they'll look beautiful when they're done doesn't matter to me i'll never be able to afford to even come within a sp within spinning distance of that community so guess what disney already has a, a planned community on disney property of multi-million dollar homes that are like right outside magic kingdom i've gotten to drive through there once because one time for my job i had to drive through the community to get to the back because there's a four seasons resort that's like super fucking fancy and i had to go there to deliver something for my work once and i was like wow i feel absolutely poor just being in this area right now and i don't know it made me sad it didn't feel like Disney magic. It just made me feel poor. 
Mr. Miggy, why are you trying to make me feel poor? Anyway, glad you enjoyed Crossfire X. Hit me up anytime. I'm literally always down to play Counter-Strike. Not Counter-Strike, Crossfire X. Counter-Strike can suck an egg. But Mr. Miggy, hope you're having a wonderful day. And I hope uh, next time you trip and fall, you actually fall on a pile of hot cash. I don't know why the cash is, 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 is hot, but hopefully it's not too hot. Otherwise, it could risk... Uh, combustion, and then you would lose said money. Okay, let's round out with some miscellaneous comments. We got two. Mountain Dew Battle.net. Here we go. Redo Vandal says, I tip my hat off to Mountain Dew. They've created an artificial lung, in which I mean they. I mean the guys in white coats in Die Yellow number five. Looking back at it now, Mountain Dew has nothing really to do with it. Redo Vandal, I have absolutely no clue what you're trying to say. I cannot make any sense of this. I can't play with this comment. I don't know how to work with it and try to make something out of it I, i'm literally at a loss for words all i can tell you is mountain dew my old mountain dew cans are starting to um starting to leak i need to figure out a way to sell them maybe i don't know i don't know what we're saying our last comment of the week comes from my brother josiah who's coming in double dipping he says that i hope that xbox moves pc games to BattleNet instead of shutting it down the xbox launcher sucks on pc it's hard to update games sometimes games decide not to work at all all in all the launcher just sucks well, I would rather them keep the Xbox launcher, shutter Battle.net, but take the technology and the infrastructure and the know-how from Battle.net and implement that into the Xbox app to make it not suck. Because I'd rather have an Xbox app than a Battle.net app, but I agree, the Xbox app on PC as it stands today absolutely sucks. And it's comical how long it's been around. They just cannot fucking figure it out, despite the fact that they're Microsoft. But yeah, I feel you. Now, guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, and whatnot for this week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy, reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing this past week. But before I can tell you about that, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, I'll keep it brief. This past weekend, I finally convinced my girlfriend for once to go to Disney with me. For you know, she's 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 always like, ah, oh, it's the weekend. I want to go. You know, I want to relax. I want to enjoy my time. I want to unwind. Work is stressful. I just want to kind of do my thing. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. Let's go Disney World because we're fucking dumb and we want to go be sandwiched in between 2.5 billion tourists. And uh, so this week I won and she let, she let us go. So we went to Hollywood Studios on Sunday and I was like, damn, it would be cool if there was a restaurant themed to Hollywood. And I was like, oh yeah, there is. It's called Planet Hollywood and it's kind of got a bad reputation. So we impulsively headed over to the Planet Hollywood here at uh, in Orlando and uh, we popped on in there and we, you know, I haven't been to the Planet Hollywood in a long time. Now you guys know me, big Rainforest Cafe guy, big Landry's guy. I love the chain restaurants, as I always say. You know, it wouldn't be a chain if they weren't good. The only reason they can afford to have so many locations is because they're good enough that people want to go to them. You know, that's that's big brain logic right there. So Planet Hollywood, haven't been there maybe six years or so, Pretty ex- maybe five years. I don't know. Who cares? Pretty excited to check it out again. Whatever. I wasn't crazy about the way they rethemed it a few years back. That's why I haven't been there. But, dude, they gave us a seat on, like, the higher floor. And the thing I love about this, and I didn't know until this week when we went there, is Planet Hollywood, if you don't know, is basically like a hard rock cafe or a, or rainforest cafe, but it's themed to like movies and Hollywood and memorabilia from various Hollywood movies. And it's fun. It's kitschy, whatever. They got like fucking, oh, the jacket that Jackass wore in Ghostbusters 7. And ah, here's the fucking uh, tissue that Tom Hanks used to catch all of his cum in Forrest Gump or whatever. It's like just stupid shit hanging up on the walls. And they got like a big TV that like plays like fucking lady gaga and let it go from frozen and shit it's like it's dumb it's fun for families to go and eat overpriced cheeseburgers whatever i love it 
it's kind of like Rainforest Cafe, but a lot less fun in terms of theme. And I, I, I always have a good time because I like kitschy, stupid fucking restaurants like this aimed at tourists and that are really lowbrow. And uh, so we go there and we get sat on the top floor. And I didn't realize this, but because every time I've been here prior, I've always gotten like the main bottom floor seating. The top floors of this restaurant, they never really properly refurbished. So it still has a very like 1990s, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator 2, fucking Planet Hollywood, like wacky tacky 90s theme and aesthetic going on and i was like whoa this is awesome it has the crazy arcade carpet and everything still up there and it was awesome it was really really cool i was like okay this is way better atmosphere than downstairs where you know they rethemed the restaurant a few years ago try to make it look like a actual fucking warehouse where like mafia goons go and hang out um so it was really cool really cool atmosphere big plus i'm like okay haven't been you in a while planet hollywood but maybe maybe you got me today really impressed by planet hollywood this time tried the fried lasagna we got the, uh, the little fucking uh, tostados chips, but instead of corn tortillas, they use like f- like gyoza sticker, g- fried gyoza sheets and stuff. And it's all whatever. It's like barbecue chicken, cheese and fried lasagna and cheesecake brownie and all this ridiculous tourist food that's meant to give you a heart attack by age 30. And I love it. It was great. We actually had a fun time playing in Hollywood. I got I got to say you are no you are no rainforest cafe. You have stiff competition. I can go to a million better Disney restaurants for food. I can go to a million better Landry's restaurants for theming. I can go to a million better restaurants in Orlando in general that either have better pricing, better food, or better theming, any combination of the three. But Planet Hollywood, you are a big piece of history, and you used to be better than you are. And this past weekend, I learned that you are better than I thought you were nowadays, but you're still not as good as you used to be, and you're still not as good as your competitors. But... I'm glad I checked you out again for the first time in five years. And guess what? In another five years, I wouldn't mind going back. So Planet Hollywood, give yourself a pat on the back. And uh, with, with that out of the way, guys, I got to tell you about what I've been what I've been playing. Kind of easing my way back into gaming this past week after last week being a little all over the place, being out of town and all this stuff. Work's kind of settling back into normalcy. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my ways as an epic gamer. And so what do I do? I say Elden Ring, Elden Ring, Elden Ring. All right, I'll download Destiny 2, the Witch Queen expansion. And guys, I've only gotten to play a little bit of it. Shout out to Arctic Chief. He played with me. made me feel not so lonely in my heart. And, uh, you know, it's kind of too early to really be talking truthfully about it. But I haven't played Destiny in over a year. And this is a game I absolutely love. This is usually one of my main games I I play. And so just coming back to Destiny, I'm really happy to be here. And I got to say, the game... You know, coming off a lot of Halo Infinite recently and everything, I gotta say, Destiny just feels so incredibly good. And and you could have said this eight years ago when Destiny first came out and you'd be right. But the thing is, it's like, I don't think Destiny gets enough credit. You know, despite all the ups and downs that that franchise has had, and, you know, know, sometimes it's like, Bungie, what the hell are you doing with this game? Plenty of criticism to be levied at Destiny. But one thing you can never say about Destiny is that it doesn't feel good because this game feels so good to play always has and coming back to it for the first time in a year i'm just reminded that damn this game has the literally top five best controls feel weightiness floatiness with maneuverability shooting sponginess of the enemies everything about this gunplay and this moment-to-moment action feels so damn good in destiny the game looks phenomenal like i just every time Des- a new destiny expansion comes out they somehow outdo themselves just not even with the amazing graphics that the game absolutely has but with just the incredibly stunning and inspiring art style you know coming off halo infinite and thinking wow halo infinite it looks pretty good it plays great halo infinite is an amazing game especially if we're talking about the campaign halo infinite is so so good great story really fun gameplay really cool uh things they did with that campaign but playing destiny 2's the witch queen and seeing 
the just insanely over the top stunning art style and, and environmental variety and everything that you just immediately get hit with fresh off the bat. I I just cannot get over how much more impressive this one expansion of Destiny 2 is over Halo Infinite, which just completely lacks any semblance of environmental variety and uniqueness. It's just like, hey, here's Pacific North Northwest whenever you're outside, and here is just monochrome fucking um, Promethean, or not Promethean, Forerunner, plain-ass structures, and nothing else in between. Just those two things all day, every day. And meanwhile, Destiny 2, you know, this is just one of many expansions, and this expansion already just has so much more visual pop and variety and artistic like just artistic flair going on everywhere you turn and look in this game it's just amazing so haven't really had a chance to really focus in on the story people are really loving it saying it's basically the best disney destiny expansion yet and i can't speak to that yet i, I need to finish my playthrough and then probably go back through it again on solo and just really taking the story elements but I, I gotta be honest i'm excited to be back into destiny and i'm, I'm thinking which queen so far pretty good shit I mean, obviously, if you've never played Destiny, this is actually a pretty decent jumping on point. But at the same time, I, I feel like if you, if you haven't played Destiny, you're probably not going to. But I, most people have played Destiny. And I, and I just think if, if you're maybe a lapsed player, or it's been a while, whatever, this is a great time to come back to Destiny or give it give it a go because this content is just... Uh, the game is just so... you know, Comparing it to Halo, at least, obviously, it's been on the market so much longer. It's had so much more time. But the game just has so much great content to offer. It's such a beautiful game to look at, and it feels so good to play. So I will say, we're about to get into Halo Infinite here in the news. If you're one of those people who's a little lapsed and tired with Halo and we're a little frustrated with 343 at the moment, take a break. Play some Destiny, because this shit be so good. Mwah. Other than that, I've just been playing more Crossfire X, and I have, a, I have a justifiable reason. There was a big Crossfire X update this week. They fixed a lot of bugs. They tweaked a lot of things. More importantly, they have a new in-game event. They have two new maps slash modes, and the game feels better than ever. I, I'm loving this. The new melee mode is fucking ridiculous. You're on this submarine, and it, you get your first couple kills, then the submarine starts to flood and twist and everything, and you gotta like, maintain your balance while trying to melee the fuck out of the other team, and it's super goofy and over the top. And then they got this new this new map for the uh, invisible uh, search and destroy whatever mode, and the new map is super cool, and it's got interactive vehicles you can use to your advantage, and Really cool shit. Dude, Crossfire X, I, I just refuse to believe what people are saying about this game. It is just so much fun. The content's slowly starting to trickle out. I will definitely give you give people the 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 argument that this game lacks content severely. severely. But I, I would say Crossfire X's biggest strength is that even though every game mode only has one map per game mode, the, the thing that kind of makes that forgivable to an extent is the fact that every map is so specifically tailor-made to its gameplay mode that it makes that map significantly more replayable than, say, like, your average Call of Duty map. Because, yeah, Call of, Call of Duty, it's like a new game comes out, you have anywhere between, like, 8 and 16 maps on launch day, right? So it's like, oh, awesome, I can play, like, pretty much all of these maps on Team Deathmatch or Domination or Kill Confirmed or whatever mode I'm playing. But with Crossfire X, it's like... Well, every mode has a specific map, and that map isn't just a map that can be used to play any mode. It is a map that is specifically tailor-made for that mode. And so, you know, like when you're playing point capture, it's like the map unfolds depending on what objectives are being captured and at what point in the battle you're at. And so it, it's tailored to the game mode, and it's really, really good. Or you think about like 
the search and destroy map is very specifically made with this, the, all these windows and corridors to make it ideal for uh, search and destroy. Or you think about forgetting about it. It's whatever the invisible specter mode is. I think it's called specter, actually. And the maps are so specifically tailored so that when you're invisible, you're on the opposing team and you're invisible and you're trying to plant the bomb, you can use certain movable environmental objects to your advantage. Uh, like, like, for example, there's this one map one of the new maps you're supposed to stay invisible and try to plant the bomb on the enemy team and the enemy team's job is to find the invisible guys and shoot them and kill them before they can plant the bomb search and destroy right the diff the thing is when you're invisible anytime you move you become slightly more or significantly more visible so the enemy can spot you so what you had to do is you had to hide in the shadows or find moving vehicles and jump on top of them so the vehicle moves you across the map but you're not technically moving and that way you can traverse without being spotted and all these things so it's like they build the maps around the gameplay mechanics and it makes the game so interesting and so much more fun to play so even though when i play specter it's like ah oh, there's only this like one map it's like yeah but that one map is significantly more replayable and fun because it's made for the, like that that map is that mode and I just, I love that about Crossfire X. I wish more games had something like that. And I really, really admire it. So does the game need more content? Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, even I'm starting to get to a point where I'm just like, oh, more maps, please. But I, I gotta say, this game's held my attention so much this past month, despite the, the limited content, it, you know, that it offers. And I'm just still enjoying the hell out of Crossfire X. It's my fucking game, guys. I'm gonna get... Pretty sure I'm going to get a Crossfire X tattoo. So next time you see me, which probably you won't because it's an audio-only podcast, might be sporting a Smilegate uh, tattoo or something like that. Might might say Made in Korea on my on my lower back like a tramp stamp. I don't know. But guys, that's it for what I've been playing. With with that out of the way, with that said and done, let's jump into the news. We got a, we got a decent lineup of news. Let's talk some Halo. I'm ready to get into that. See you on the other side. All right, our first news story of the day as promised above, we'll talk some Halo. So I want to talk a little bit about all the big Halo news that happened this week, and then we can rant a little bit about what the fuck is going on with this game. Oh, sorry, Wes. What the heck is going on with this game? All right, let's read our VGC report because uh, they're the only the only source we ever cite. Whatever. Andrew Witz, the multiplayer lead for Halo Infinite, has left 343 Industries. In a tweet, the developer said, quote, Today's my last day at 343 Industries. It's been a long honor leading the multiplayer design team over these years. Thank you for all the Halo fans and your feedback over the years. We made this game for you. He continued, going to take some time off to relax and recharge, but I'm excited for what's next. End quote. It's not clear what Wits plans to do next, but he previously worked as a core gameplay designer on Rainbow Six Siege. Halo Infinite's multiplayer launched in December without a Forge mode, a popular game mode that allowed players to create their own maps and game types. This was expected as the delay in the mode was announced last summer, however, a further delay to the feature was later confirmed that 343 had extended its Season 1, which was originally expected to conclude in earlier in this year, and now it's going till May. Recently, 343 announced a further delay of the mode and revealed that this small group of community creators were testing an upcoming edition. VGC reported last month that players had managed to access the mode early and were showing off some of the new functionality, but recently, 343 provided a development update on the highly requested mode. Quote, this is from 343. We're also making some great progress in Forge, and indeed we are already fighting, fighting Forge to a small group of community creators and working closely with them to ensure that all of you have a terrific experience creating, sharing, browsing, and playing Forge content. In the meantime, we will continue to privately flight Forge as we develop it, while also planning for public flights later in the year. We still have a goal of shipping with in Season 3, so Forge is expected to be there in Season 3. 343 also revealed that the first details on Season 2 
which is now officially called the Lone Wolves or Lone Wolves. Also delayed was the campaign co-op mode that 343 claims is making, quote, great progress. 343 has told fans that it needs more time to complete the promised cooperative forge modes and campaign mode, and that it won't arrive in time for season two, as we previously just discussed. Overall, 343 said that it is prioritizing hot fixes for known issues in Halo of Infinite, completing season two, and continuing to work on co-op and forge in for season three. However, it's said that maintaining a healthy work-life balance for its employees would underpin all of its schedules. Quote, we're making great progress on our campaign network co-op, the developer said in a blog post, but the reality is that it's going to take more time to land a high-quality, full-featured four-player network co-op experience in a massive, wide-open world for Halo. We're also committed to a great two-player split-screen co-op experience on consoles, from the original Xbox One to the Series X, and the non-linear, wide-open sections of the campaign presents some big challenges for split-screen have taken us some time to solve. They finally added, All this means is that we won't be able to ship Campaign Network Co-op on May 3rd along with Season 2, but we're still aiming to deliver Campaign Network Co-op later in Season 2. And we will share a release date when the time comes. Now, of course, that means when Season 2 starts in May. won't be there, but the idea is hopefully by the end of Season 2 they'll have it. 343 also revealed the first details on Lone Wolf, as we just mentioned above. The Battle Pass, or the new season, will include a mix of cinematic, story-themed events, Battle Pass items, and more embedded within the Lone Wolves theme. Quote, Lone Wolf Spartans are hunters, trackers, are resourceful improvisers operating deep in enemy territory without supply or support, and they're fierce, rugged, and prefer to work alone, but they're still loyal to the Spartan pack. Finally, they added, During Season 2, we will be shipping playlist updates, balancing changes, new modes, new maps, and specifically, one arena map named Catalyst and one big team battle map named Breaker. The new modes included Last Spartan Standing, a free-for-all elimination mode, as well as another mode named Land Grab, plus the return of the all-time favorite mode, King of the Hill. That sounds interesting. Last Spartan Standing sounds almost just a little bit like... Uh, like that uh, mode from Halo 5 I love so much that the name is escaping me. And also, hey, King of the Hill's coming back. So, all right, all that shit said. Those were a couple stories I combined all into one so we could discuss all the Halo Infinite developments that happened this past week. So here, here's, let, let's break this down one by one. Let's talk about Andrew Witts, the multiplayer lead for Halo Infinite leaving. Then we'll talk about the new content and what that all means and exciting stuff and the delayed content. And then we'll just talk overall just generally about what the fuck is happening with Halo. So... Andrew Witt's leaving. This is a little bit of a shock. A lot of people were in like a, oh, whoa, what the fuck? This guy's leaving? This game is in trouble. And a lot of people started complaining about the whole, well, they're on the contract work schedule, so no one gets to stay there very long. Okay, a couple things. Complaining about the contract work thing, the fact that they don't hire enough full-time permanent employees and that they rely heavily on contract worker, I think it's fair criticism. It's something I've been critical of Microsoft for doing with 343. But I can't imagine someone like the lead multiplayer uh, head, and like Andrew Witts, is a contract worker. I assume he is a permanent full-time guy, so I don't really understand the logic in that argument to begin with. But here's the thing. He's leaving in a time where the game barely launched, super slim on content, and fans are outraged and pissed off because we've been getting very little communication from 343. The content we have been uh, have had announced to us and, and we've been waiting patiently for keeps getting punted and punted and punted. And then there's always some excuse. And it, it looks like based on their quotes today, the flavor of the week is, well, we're trying to avoid crunch and respect our employees. Hey, maybe that's the truth. I don't know. Sounds like excuses at this point because I just don't see how we went from Halo 5 coming out in 2015 to Halo Infinite coming out at the tail end of 2021, and we just cannot get a fucking game with a robust campaign and multiplayer suite. I'm sorry. I understand you have 
you're working on old hardware and new hardware by trying to, you know, you, you never launched a game on PC day and day, all these things. I don't think, you know, having played Halo Infinite extensively, I don't think there's anything about that campaign or that multiplayer that is like, whoa, that's going to be hard to pull off, you know, making that ha- making that be co-op or making a robust multiplayer suite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest because Far Cry has been bragging about its open world co-op online nature, drop in, drop out gameplay since like fucking Far Cry 4. Since like what was that? 2014, I think. So like I, I don't I don't understand. What like Halo Infinite's world is not that big. It's it's open world is very similar feeling to a Far Cry world. Like what what is happening here? I understand games aren't all equally made one to one plug and plays. I get that. Different engines, different tools, different developers. I get all these things. But like you're the most expensive game. You're the most expensive franchise Xbox owns. It's Halo for Christ's sake. Like make it happen. And the fact that you have Andrew Witz leaving in a time where content is so slim and people aren't happy, it's like, this this spells trouble for me. If Halo Infinite launched in a state where it's like, whoa, the campaign is awesome and it has co-op and the multiplayer is awesome and it has awesome maps and tons of them and all the modes you want to see there and it has Forge and it's really cool, it's the most robust Forge we've ever had and it just has all the staples of the Halo franchise, right? And then Andrew Witz leaves, I would be like, you know what makes sense? The guy, they shipped a really robust, complete project. He, he left his mark here. He wants to move on to new things. I respect it. Good luck to you, Andrew. Best of luck in whatever you decide to do next. That, that would be all I have to say on this subject if that were the case. But the fact that he's leaving at a time where 343 is giving little to no update. Like I think the only reason we even got the news we got on season two this week was just because so many people were bitching and moaning like crazy online about like what's going on with Halo Infinite. I think they prematurely dropped news just to satiate people. But the fact that this is happening at this time, considering the facts, this to me spells trouble because with the way Halo Infinite launched, especially its multiplayer suite, I, I would look at that if I were the lead multiplayer guy for Halo Infinite as like, okay, guys, We've launched in beta, but we have plenty of freaking work to do. Let's get to it. And that's not what's happening. Instead, they're just dodging their audience, not saying anything. And now the guy's just leaving. And, and, and here's the thing is normally I'm a lot more forgiving about this. The reason why I'm starting to get a little irked about it as well is because Microsoft and 343 have billed Halo Infinite as a live service game. And I, and I, I apologize for... I don't remember who it was, if it was like Chris Reagan or, or Actman or one of those people I follow that talk Halo. Uh, but one of them made a really good point, which is that at this point in Halo 3's life cycle, we already had the first map pack out already. And that game launched with a way more robust uh, multiplayer suite and Forge from day one. And obviously, again, not everything's Apple's apples to apples comparisons obviously halo 3 was made by bungie a long time ago game development was a lot more simple in those days than it is now everything's different i get it we can't just compare them all exactly as equals but halo in halo 3 was not a games as a service game it was a one and done game that just so happened to get a handful of dlc packs you know back in those innocent days where you got dlc packs instead of season passes and battle passes and loot boxes or whatever the fuck it is we get these days and um it, 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 yeah he, he, he mentioned i'm pretty sure it was chris reagan but he mentioned <laughs> at this point in halo 3's life cycle we had more communication from bungie and more extended content coming to the game than halo infinite has since its launch and the ironic thing is that halo infinite is a live service game and that's the thing is don't 
call your new Halo game a live service game if you're not going to constantly be posting community updates and engaging with the community and blogging and saying all the things you need to say because that's how a live service game works, okay? Listen, if you want to, like, I don't know, pick a game. We just said Far Cry. Okay, Far Cry 6. Far Cry 6 is not a live service game. It has post-launch support. It has DLC and other things. I get that. But it is not a game as a service game. The Far Cry 6 is supposed to end at a certain point. You get your last piece of DLC. You go away. You play the game. Bye-bye. On to the next project. That's the point of Far Cry 6. But, you know, for a game like Far Cry 6, it's like, okay... You don't expect to hear from the developers every 10 minutes because the point was they made the game, they put the game out there, you bought and played the game, end of the story. Halo Infinite is supposed to be more like a Destiny, more like Division, more like World of Warcraft or any of these games where it's like, no, 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 no. You put the game out there, you called it a live service game. It's like Fortnite. We're supposed to get supported by updates and seasons and patches and all this information. So it's like, lay it on me. What's next? Where are we going? What, what, what are we looking forward to next? What are we doing? And... Instead of getting updates and information and communication and all that stuff, 343 is largely just quiet. And then their lead multiplayer guy just leaves. And I'm sorry, that's concerning. And so, yeah, you can say, oh, we, we, we want to avoid crunch. And I'm sure right now they really, really, really wish they could use COVID as an excuse. But we are way past the point now of developers being like, well, COVID. So... I think they're just kind of scratching for, for you know, scratching for excuses at this point. And I don't normally like to be so mean, especially considering I, I really love 343. I really respect them. I, I Halo Infinite is a great game. This is one of my favorite developers. They've made such a special game here. But guys, come on. They just lose talent left and right. I don't know what the issue is. I don't work there. I don't have insiders. I don't have friends at 343 that can help me figure this shit out and decipher it. You know, Jeff Grubb hasn't exposed the story yet. I We don't know. But what I do know is you're fucking Microsoft and you own Halo and you own the team that makes Halo. No excuses. Just make the freaking thing happen. Spend the money. If it's a matter of contract workers being an issue... Offer extensions, offer offer permanent positions, offer more money to these people, make it happen. If it's a matter of, you know, your team size is too small, your project's too ambitious, do what you gotta do. Go get more talent. Spend some freaking money. We're gonna get into the story in a little bit about the issue with it, with 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 uh, labor in the games industry, but like, again, like, this is Halo, one of the biggest franchises in gaming history. You are Microsoft, a, a company that has so much freaking money that you just bought Activision. Like, there's no excuse throw resources throw money at the problem make it not be a thing anymore like i just i just don't feel like 343 have a really solid excuse i don't feel like microsoft have a really solid excuse for what we're seeing here we're, we're constantly losing core talent we're constantly having a lack of communication and the game is constantly in a state of oh it's coming it's coming like I, it almost makes you wonder is is elden ring the game that was written by george rr R. martin or or is halo infinite the game that had George R.R. R. Martin's input because this guy's just lying about shit that's on the way. Oh, it's coming. The next book's coming, but nothing ever arrives. Like, to me, I'm, I'm still kind of shocked that we even got Halo Infinite when we did because I'm just like, man, that game had been delayed so many times and it just like, you know, teased so many times and finally it happened. And I, I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm a little disenfranchised with Halo Infinite at the moment. And I, I really hate to say that. I was so excited when the game launched. I really, truly did enjoy the hell out of the campaign but the multiplayer i feel like it got really tired really quick the lack of not being able to choose whether you not want to play cross play or not really sucks and the game just feels like the most sweaty least in the spirit of halo kind of halo experience that i've ever had once you know once it's in action once you're playing it 
in the real world against real people as opposed to, you know, like when we were playing it in beta and it was just fervor Halo fans just excited, you know, whatever. And I don't know. It just it just makes me sad. So season hey, hey, here's at least an update on season two. We're getting some new maps. That's cool. Just two maps and everything else is delayed. Eh. It sounds like basically what we're getting is bug fixes, a couple new game modes, two maps, and a new battle pass. To me, it's like the new battle pass and the bug fixes are like given. Of course, you have that shit. So like I'm not impressed or surprised by that. But like, okay, two maps and a couple new game modes. That's that's what we're getting. By the time that releases in May, Halo Infinite will have been on the market for six months. So in half a year, this live service game basically got a couple new game modes and two new maps. So that's just to put things in perspective. That's where Halo Infinite stands. I just think that's not enough. I mean, I love King of the Hill. I'm super excited to see that's coming. I'm sure Forge will be great whenever the hell we actually get it. And I, I've said many times in the past, like, dude, the co-op campaign thing, I know people are bitching and moaning about it. I personally don't care about that feature too much, so it's hard for me to get invested. But I'm starting to get to a point where I'm like, listen, man, I I get why people are a little salty about the co-op campaign thing now. Like, originally, I was like, okay, it's going to launch a few months later. Just give them some time. But now it's like, oh, okay, man, we can't reach a point where the co-op campaign shows up a year after the game launches. Like, come on. Shit or get off the pot. And that looks especially bad because Halo, Infinite, Halo 5, as you remember, took so much shit for not having co-op campaign. And then Bonnie Ross went out like a year after the game came out and said, like, we'll never launch another Halo game without co-op campaign. We understand it's so integral to our players. And then you guys really made it seem like Halo Infinite was guaranteed to have co-op campaign from day one. And then lo and behold, you weren't able to launch the game with with co-op campaign day one. So I understand this is a very ambitious Halo project. It's the most ambitious Halo game ever made. Not all games are made equal. You can't just blanketly compare this Halo to that Halo or this open world game to the Halo or whatever. But I just feel like when you have the resources Microsoft have, when you are representing the Halo brand, when you are Xbox you don't really get the excuse to fuck this up as much as they have. And they're really lucky because they've gotten the most important things right. The game is really fun and it plays really great. The core gameplay mechanics and loop of, the, of this Halo game are so good. The campaign is so good, but it's just like every, all the meat around that is completely fucked. There's no co-op campaign. Forge is MIA. Barely any content dripping out of this thing. The seasons are just getting extended because you guys can't figure it out. You're losing you're losing core talent like your multiplayer lead in a time where multiplayer desperately needs people to help lead it because there's nothing coming. And so, I mean, hey, maybe there's a possibility that Andrew Witz didn't leave and that he was kind of pressured to, to leave because they need to replace him with someone who can get the job done. I don't believe for a second that's what's happening. That's all really crazy speculation. But man, it's just, you got to scratch your head and wonder what the heck is happening with Halo Infinite. And, uh... I don't know, man. I, I'm barely level like 42 in the battle pass in this game. If you had asked me before this game came out how my time with Halo Infinite would have gone, I would have told you, oh, dude, I'm going to hit 100 on the battle pass within the first month or, or two, and I'm going to be playing this game every single day after work and on weekends. This is going to be my game for the next year or two for sure. I'm going to be so addicted to this thing. I'm going to be so good at it. I I never want to play Halo. We only play it for the stream, you know, when, when I have nothing else to play. And I suck at it because I, I like to play with a controller and I'm forced to play with these sweaty PC people because crossplay can't be turned off and it just doesn't feel like the Halo I'm used to. And I just, I, I'm not having fun grinding this obnoxious battle pass with terrible progression and these same three freaking maps that all look and play kind of the same. And I don't know. It's like, it, it's a great game. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed this game so much 
during those those during those test flights and I love the campaign in this game. I think the campaign is truly a great campaign and I think give it some time, let it get some more content under its belt and it will be a truly must play master. I mean, I already think it's a must play, but it'll be a unable to ignore just best multiplayer experience on Xbox. But they're just squandering this amazing opportunity and all the goodwill they they built with this game by just not being able to deliver and I, I see why people are frustrated. And I'm, I'm starting to join in the frustration a little bit. Now, does that mean I hate this game? No. Does that mean I'm not going to come back to this game? Hell no. Like, I can't wait for Halo Infinite to only get better. And I know it will. But man, it's pretty frustrating, the situation we're in right now. And I, I, I know, you know, whatever the, the it is that 343 is up against, there's only so many things they can and can't control. One thing they can absolutely control is just more transparency. Even if it's always bad news. Like I, we just we just need them to talk about this live service game, and I know it sounds somewhat hypocritical because usually like we're we're talking about Dragon Age, right? With with Bioware, and I'm like, guys, just shut up, stop talking about Dragon Age in the next Mass Effect. Just fuck off, go develop your game, and then show up in a couple of years and be like, here's the game, we're ready to show you it in action. So I know it sounds hypocritical for me to be like, stop over communicating until you have something to show. But again, the difference is. Dragon Age is a game that's basically vaporware at this point. It's a it's a one and done single player game that we've been waiting on forever. Go away until you're ready to show it. But that's not Halo. Halo Infinite is a game that is actually out. I have access to it. I can play it now. I own it. And you put it out there. And it's a live services game. It's a game that you market it as a game that will live and breathe and continue to be supported for a long time. And you're just not talking about that support. And that's the difference. And I just think they they need to fix it. So let me know what you guys think. Usually I try not to be, especially about, you know, things like, I love Halo so much. I don't I don't like, I don't enjoy getting up here and, and being negative about Halo. But I, I got to be honest, this is where I am at right now with this game. And I know it will change and I look forward to that changing for the better. But currently this is where I'm at. And I'm curious where you guys are. I'm sure there are a lot of you who are probably starting to get fed up with this stuff as well. So write in, let me know. But uh, if you felt like I was being too negative, shut up, nerd. All right. Speaking of Activision Blizzard, because they just can't freaking get out of the news, let's let's talk about Activision Blizzard, but it, it also a larger news story, just about kind of the, the situation with staffing in the games industry. So VGC reports, Activision Blizzard have said that it's having problems attracting new employees and keeping old employees on board due to various factors. In its annual report via Axios, the Call of Duty World of Warcraft Candy Crush publisher cited labor shortages growing competition for talent, and increasing attrition as factors related to its current recruitment struggles. Activision Blizzard is also currently facing multiple regulatory investigations over its handling of, of alleged sexual assaults, discrimination, and harassment of female employees. And, its annual, and in its annual report, the company said that its, rec its recruitment problems are likely to be exacerbated by ongoing litigation and bad press. Quote, we are experiencing increased difficulty in attracting and retaining skilled personnel. For example, we observed a significant higher turnover rate in our human resources function in 2021. Additionally, recent litigation involving company-related workplace employee concerns and related to media attention can be expected to have an adverse effect on our ability to attract and retain employees and has resulted in work stoppages. In November, Wall Street Journal reported... Uh, alleged that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick was aware of multiple sexual misconduct allegations at the company. And in a statement and in a statement at the time, the company spokesperson said that Bobby Kotick would not have been informed of every report of misconduct, every action at every Activision Blizzard company 
nor would he reasonably expect to have been updated on all the personnel issues. Kodak was also accused of mistreatment of several female employees himself, including leaving a voicemail in 2006, in which he threatened to have assistant killed. An Activision spokesperson said of the acquisition that Kotick quickly apologized 16 years ago for the obvious hyperbolic and inappropriate voicemail, and he deeply regrets any exaggeration or tone in his voicemail to this day. The Activision Blizzard board also released a statement at the time saying it remained confident in Kotick's leadership. Uh-huh. So this is a Activision-specific problem, but this is also kind of a problem overall because we're seeing this happen more and more. I don't think we talked about it last year on the show. We may have put it in the quick news, but that new Star Wars game by Quantic Dream, the guys that make Heavy Rain, that was uh, a teased at the Game Awards this past, you know, this past Game Awards a few months ago. Uh, there are new reports going out saying that that game might not even come out till 2028 or 29 at this point. Just because Quantic Dream is having such a hard time hiring and, and staffing up like they're trying to do for the development of that game. And so this is a this is an issue that and that's just one example, but this is an issue at large that's been reportedly plaguing the games industry as of late. And there's you know, there's a lot of things that could be affecting it, but I, I don't know, Activision's here saying that, oh, it's all the bad press we're getting and it's the fact that we're under investigation and people don't like us right now. I'm sure that does play a role in people quitting Activision and not wanting to work at Activision, obviously. Of course, it has some sort of adverse effect, but I kind of refuse to believe that's the main reason or or really even the substantial reason in any, in any way why they're experiencing this issue because we're seeing it happen with other studios right now. And I, I think what it really comes down to is... With this arms race of the games industry where everyone's consolidating, what we're really finding is people aren't people aren't so much after studio names or ownership of a studio. It's really the talent that comes with it. And I think the best example of this is Sony acquiring Bungie because Bungie, who gives a shit about, you know, really the games necessarily that Bungie works on? Destiny 2 or Destiny is obviously a lucrative franchise. There's lots of potential for what you can do with that. But there are far more important important video game franchises to own other than destiny but bungie one of the all-time greatest developers without a doubt still to this day there's no one who who makes games the way bungie does they're so unique they're so incredibly innovative and forward thinking that's a really really important team to have and something like half of the money sony spent on acquiring bungie went to like million dollar retention bonuses to to be paid out to employees over the course of multiple years as a way of incentivizing people to not quit because obviously it would have been terrible for them if they bought so if they bought um a bungee and then everyone's like cool we we sold out we made our money let's quit and go do something else because that that makes bungee basically a useless acquisition so for sony in their case it was really important to make sure you you lock in and retain that and i have no idea i have no doubt that microsoft does similar things and, and in fact I don't know if this is ever directly reported, but it, it would be hard to believe that Microsoft didn't pay out the ass with massive bonuses for people like Pete Hines and Todd Howard when they acquired Bethesda. You got to think like you're not going to acquire Bethesda, all of ZeniMax, actually, and just not keep Todd Howard and Pete Hines like the core two people associated with that entire that entire um, segment of the games industry, you know, you, you need those people. They matter a lot. And so what we're seeing is obviously this consolidation of the market, but also this high premium on everyone's head in the games industry. Everyone who really has a big mark in this industry is suddenly a highly valued member. And there have been apparently like reports and I, I've just been seeing this from, you know, like 
people tweeting and like people who work in games industry and games media talking about kind of this issue saying things like right now there are be- there are people who are being offered by certain companies like hey like we want you so badly we'll double your salary at that studio to come and work for us we'll we'll let you work from home most of the time we'll let you you know come into the office only a couple couple times a week or so and they're giving people basically like this red carpet treatment just to try and get the highest quality talent in the industry because that's the thing that's finite and that's the thing everyone's truly after and you know you think about like people like um vince sampella over at respawn how he's just continuously being given more and more power over all of what's happening with ea and how he's like in charge of so many studios now and how he's kind of like shepherding the battlefield franchise going forward and how he's the star wars the battlefield the titanfall the apex legends guy he's everything He's leading multiple teams because we're seeing these people just become so important. And I think Activision is starting to catch wind of that, that or, or these employees that, listen, I can find the company that, that thinks I'm worth more than this. I can find the company that's going to offer me great benefits because the industry has changed a lot since COVID, a lot more work from home culture than before. And, oh, we're going to find I'm going to find the, the, the company that treats its employees not like complete dog shit and the multitude of factors. But I think. The biggest thing is just this quality of employment, this this high price associated with really highly sought after high quality developers and how it's starting to get to a point where, you know, some, some of these guys can't, you know, they, they got to step it up. I don't want to say Activision can't compete because, I mean, they're fucking Activision. Of course they can. But if you, if you want to retain your staff, especially really you're really notable important key players you gotta be willing to really up the ante and, and, and shell out and i i see activision as probably a more lean kind of a publisher but again they just lost a bunch of guys at treyarch who went over to sony i forget the name of the studio they're forming it was i always want to say fire sprite but i know it's not that one but whatever it is those guys making that new first person shooter franchise for playstation they announced it at the summer game awards last year before they even really had anything in development or anything to show but, you know, tons of examples of that, like core talent, just leaving long standing relationships with, with people like with with companies like Activision to go and do new things because Sony was like, hey, you guys are worth a lot. Here's a shit ton of money in a deal you can't say no to. Come work with us. So I, I think that's the bigger story here. And it's going to be crazy to see how this continues to shape up, especially as more and more companies are acquired. And as this becomes more a matter of what talent comes with these acquisitions and less so about just what publisher they're buying. Um, because Activision means nothing. If you, I mean, and here's the thing. I hate to admit this because I fucking hate Bobby Kotick. As you know, all I ever do is crap talk him on the show. But so much of Activision's success over the years has to be attributed to Bobby Kotick. He he owns so much of this company. He's led it for so freaking long. And you can say what you want about the the creative decisions they've made, but like just the financial success this company has 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 um, has enjoyed for so long in a large way it can be directly attributed to Bobby Kotick and we know Bobby's out the door once Microsoft finishes acquiring and everything so like that's that's a huge change for this company and we know they're losing talent at some of these studios to other companies we know there are guys from Infinity War there are guys from Treyarch all these developers leaving and going elsewhere and taking other deals and you got to you got to think if you're Microsoft you got to have a plan in place with this acquisition to try and really keep those crucial members. Well, there's that. I don't I don't have much more nuance to add to it other than that, but interesting what's going on there. Now, guys, we got a few more stories left, and I, I really want to talk about this next one because I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this rumor turns out to be true. So VGC reports or relays, rather, that Perfect Dark 
coming from newly formed Xbox team, The Initiative, could be getting its gameplay reveal debut at Microsoft's E3 2022 showcase, it's been claimed. Now, that's according to GamesBeat Jeff Grubb, who always has the, the scoops and who made the claim that the Xbox on the Xbox era podcast, when a viewer question led to a group, led a group into discussion about Xbox's upcoming slate of games and they were and when they're likely to be released. Now, he says, quote, Perfect Dark could come out anytime in 2023. It could easily come out in 2024. I think it will probably, I think we'll probably get, but I think we'll probably get avowed We'll probably get Perfect Dark, and then and then at that point, we'll have close to five full years of development. Grubb said when discussing the large list of games Microsoft have in development but are yet to receive release dates. He continues speculating on Microsoft's presence at E3 2022, saying, quote, They will definitely spend a lot more time on Starfield. They will probably spend a lot more time on Redfall and Forza Motorsport 8, but they're going to have a lot of room to talk about. Okay, here's where we're going to be in 2023, and the games that they have talked about, they're likely going to be the games that you'll be getting in 2023 expect that gameplay of perfect dark and stuff like that at that point. So, okay, obviously E3 2022. Now that's, you know, we don't know for certain that it's going to be E3, but whatever their summer event E3 time period kind of thing is, of course, that's what we're referring to. But yeah, this is, this is exciting. So this would be like the first tease of gameplay for, for uh, this game. If that is to be believed, now, I, I don't expect Perfect Dark to come out this year at all either. I wouldn't have been my guess either. But 2024, while while somewhat justifiable, I feel like it would be disappointing. It'd be really cool if next year, if somehow, I don't know how, but if somehow 2023 can be Avowed and Perfect Dark, oof, that would be such a fucking sweet year for them. You know, like this year it's Redfall and Starfield. And then next year if they can get Avowed and Perfect Dark, that would be so, so good. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Now, I would just love to get some gameplay of this game because the thing is, even though this is a game that probably isn't coming out anytime too soon, I'm just so obscenely curious to see what this game looks like. Because, you know, we talk about the cost of, of these developers and, and, and just talent being hard to find. Microsoft's doing a really interesting thing that I actually I'm actually kind of convinced more and more that we're going to see this continue to be a trend and not not a weird one off that Microsoft's doing where they're basically renting Crystal Dynamics to aid the initiative in the development of Perfect Dark and I I think that might actually be something the kind of thing we we start to see more and more as these publishers need ways to justify and and keep these people on payroll and in between projects and things as, as the cost of game development just continues to climb and the, the atmosphere just becomes more and more competitive and all that. So I, I feel like this is actually quite an interesting opportunity uh, for, for, for crystal dynamic and possibly the start of us of a trend we might continue to see moving into the future of game development. But just the, the fact that this is being made by Microsoft's newest studio that is formed from the ground up, you know, which is just naturally has everyone super curious because we've never seen output from these guys before. And we expect them to be one of the higher quality teams at Xbox. And then pair that with the fact that they're working with crystal dynamics, a team that has proven itself time and time again. And, 
and in recent history has kind of put out something of a dud with Avengers. I'm so curious to see what this game looks like. It's first party. It has the money and the funding and the time to be fully fleshed out and polished and high quality as can be. But it's also got a lot of Crystal Dynamics DNA, so it's not authentically 100% a complete Xbox team ground up original. But it's also the initiative, which is a new team. We've never seen anything from them, so what does that even look like? And there's just so many factors to consider that uh, this is a game I can't help but like probably be the most curious about. It's you know this and Fable, I'd say. Well, that's the other thing is is, is Fable next year because you can't do a Vowed and Fable in the same year. I feel like you can just space those out a little bit. I don't know. But anyway, this is this is a game, I would say, aside from Fable, that I'm most excited to see because I just need to know, what does this game look like? I mean, we don't even know how far along development it is, maybe. I assume there's enough to show, but like, I'm just so insanely curious to know what the hell this is. So what, we'll have to wait and see, obviously, the summer would be the time, so we'd only be about maybe three months out from really finding out what this game looks like if, if this does get shown this year, but... The other thing is I'm, I'm kind of convinced, and I don't know if there's something in the news um, that we have included to talk about it, but I'm starting to become mildly possibly convinced that maybe Red, Red, that maybe Redfall is getting a delay because we've seen um, Arcane having issues with staffing up as well and, and retaining talent. So I wonder if that game is being directly impacted by this. We don't know. They have multiple teams. Maybe they can do an all-hands-on-deck thing and try to get this thing out the door. But I, I don't know. That because that's that's supposed to be the big game of this year for Xbox aside from Starfield. So yeah, I, dude, this now that Halo Infinite is out the door, I feel like the future of Xbox is so interesting because obviously we have tons of things. You know, as the story even alludes to, Starfield, Forza Motorsport, Redfall, Avowed, Fable, Perfect Dark. We have tons and tons of games. You know, Contraband, tons and tons of games announced in development for Xbox. So there's no shortage of of, of specific titles to look forward to. But without Halo, this massive fucking project that we've all been waiting forever for, in the way of all that looming over that, now we can start to focus on these other games because these, these other games are different. We know For- Forza Motorsport 8, that's a games-as-a-service Forza game. Redfall, new game from a new team that Xbox owns. Starfield, new game from a team Starfield or Xbox recently acquired. Uh, Avowed, same thing. Perfect Dark, new game from a team Xbox built from the ground up while also renting out a different team. Like, it's just... So many curious things. It's like, I want to see what that looks like. I really want to see what Playground Games take on Fable looks like. Like, that's, that's, what is that? And, and I, I think we're, we're at the point now, especially with Halo not being in the spotlight and with the coalition kind of being somewhere MIA with like, you know, when are we going to see Gear 6 or whatever from them? With those kind of mainstays, you know, your Gears and Halo teams just kind of on the back burner or kind of off in the distance now that they've gone. We have all these other really interesting recently added Xbox teams doing really interesting projects. And dude, I, I just can't, I cannot wait to see what X it's going to be crazy. It's just not going to look like any Xbox we've ever, ever seen before. When you see this lineup in action, what these games actually look like, you know, when they're coming out, once we start to feel this cadence, this release schedule of like new triple a crazy game, every two to three months or whatever, it's, it's going to be completely insane. So, all right, next up, this is our penultimate story, or our last one's kind of a wrap-up story, so in a way, this is our last discussion story. But VGC has relayed that Bungie is in the process of recruiting and creating, or, sorry, of recruiting a creative director to work on a new third-person action game. The studio hasn't publicly announced what it's working on beyond Destiny 2, but it has said on multiple occasions that it plans to bring at least one new IP to market by 2025. That's just three years from now, which in game years means we'll probably get an announcement in the next year or so. 
One of those projects could be a third-person action title based on a job listing from the company's website, which reads, As creative director, you will be in the top or in the tip of the spear, quote, as creative director, you will be the tip of the spear to define the vision and features of our new third-person action game at Bungie. You will work with the project's leadership and executive team to create and iterate on a vision document and a feature list and technical specs. You will drive the creative vision for multiple stages of playable prototypes and prove out and iterate on that vision. You will participate directly in the creation and iteration of playable prototypes on all stages. Separate Bungie job listings also are for level designers, environmental artists spotted by game posts, and may or may not be related to the studio's new third-person action project. Both positions list experience work with character-focused third-person action platformers, isometric, etc., under nice-to-have skills. The level design position also requires a successful candidate to become an experience building and uh, iteration upon iterating upon multiplayer level for a PvP game. It was announced in January that Sony is set to purchase Bungie in a deal worth $3.6 billion, and Bungie said that the existing and future current games in development will not be exclusive to PlayStation following the acquisition. So Xbox gamers rejoice. We're still getting that sweet, sweet Bungie stuff. So I think it's clear that Bungie's working on two games, if, I, if I'm being honest. I keep forgetting whatever that like code name that the Bungie fan community is aware of, but apparently there's like a first-person hero-based type shooter that they've been working on for quite a while, and that's the more imminent game that they're working on, although there's no real substantial proof of that. That's just been kind of the long-standing rumor coming out of Bungie. Um, and then the second one is this, which is this third-person action game. This is crazy because we haven't seen Bungie put out a third-person video game since they did Oni back on the PlayStation 2 in, like, what was that, 2002 or something? So this is kind of crazy to think that Bungie is uh, working on a third-person action game, and they're looking for people with experience with platforming and isometric views and things like that. So who knows what the hell that entails? But the thing is, Bungie's strong suits... I mean, Bungie's great at pretty much everything they do, but they they have been known for 20-plus years now so much as a first-person shooter developer that it, it's kind of curious to see like what would a third person adventure game from Bungie look like we know that they nail art direction and graphics and world building and storytelling but when it comes to gameplay their bread and butter is really amazing first person shooting so I I personally can't wait to see whatever the hell this project is but I also firmly do buy into the to the long-standing multi-year credible rumors of of the hero-based shooter that they're working on and i don't think this third person game has anything to do with that because i think this hero-based shooter would be first person and i don't think it would have anything to do with platforming or isometric views or anything like that so uh, unless there's something i'm missing here i i think bungie might be working on two projects which is very exciting you almost wonder what does that mean for destiny obviously bungie's quite large and they're only staffing it more as we can see here so it, it is possible that this doesn't mean anything for destiny it'll continue as is but also destiny's almost at the end of its uh destiny 2 content promise and lineup uh in the next year or so will be there so we're kind of reaching the point where it's like is there going to be destiny 3 or are we just going to continue to support destiny 2 or are we moving away from destiny and into other games what does this mean for bungie so I think the future for Bungie is really quite interesting, and it seems like they're going to try and step away maybe from the Bungie we've been very comfortable with the past 20 years or so, and we might see a reinvention of this company. So keep your eyes peeled. Bungie is definitely one to take to keep an eye out for. And in the meantime, why don't you go play that Destiny 2 Witch Queens? Good shit. All right, guys, in our wrap-up story, this isn't really anything I had to add to, but I think this is maybe definitely something we should talk about because obviously <laughs> Xbox Japan 
historically not not great um, trying to get a foothold there but this article puts a lot of perspective on the situation of xbox in japan so vgc relaying around 2.3 million xbox consoles have been sold in japan across all generations since the original console came out 20 years ago that's according to a new report in the latest issue of Weekly Famitsu magazine, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of Xbox Japan. According to the report, a total of 2.4 million Xbox, 2.3 million Xbox consoles have been sold in Japan as of February 6, 2022. Vast majority of these were actually Xbox 360s, of which 1.6 million of the of the uh, 2.3 were sold. That's like an overwhelming majority. The report also confirms that Xbox Series X and S have already overtaken Xbox One's lifetime total sales in the country. So in one year, Series X and S have outsold Xbox One in its entire run in Japan. In context, Xbox consoles are are tiny compared to other platforms in Japan. Uh, PS5s already sold over a million units in the country, and Switch has cleared 20 million units. However, given Xbox's historical poor market performance in Japan, Xbox Series X and S are off to a positive start in a country where Xbox has typically struggled. Xbox's total sales in, uh, for each console in Japan are as follows. The Xbox OG got 472,000 units sold, and then the Xbox 360 jumped skyrocketed up to 1.6 million the Xbox One sold about 114,000 units, so less than a fourth of what the OG Xbox sold in Japan is what the Xbox One did in its whole lifetime. And then the Xbox Series X and S have already surpassed the Xbox One and are now at 142,000 units sold in Japan. So again, absolutely astonishing numbers. They went from about a half a million to about three times that number to a tiny, 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 tiny fraction, to less than a tenth of that number. And now they're kind of doing well again. Although, I can't imagine the Series X and S, I don't know, I can't imagine it's going to do 360 numbers, especially because I think Xbox's big opportunity, area of opportunity for the Japanese market is, is going to be cloud streaming. Finally, the best-selling Xbox games in Japan over its 20-year history were as follows. The number one, actually, let me start from five and, and work down. Actually, this will be more fun. The number five best-selling Xbox game of all time in Japan is The Last Remnant from the Xbox 360. Number four is Blue Dragon from Xbox 360. Um, Number three is Tales of Asperia on the Xbox 360. That was a big one. I remember that being a huge deal when Xbox had that. Uh, Number two is Star Ocean 4, The Last Hope on Xbox 360. And number one, the number one best-selling game for Xbox of all time in Japan is Dead or Alive 3 on the original Xbox. It sold 271,000 copies. So that that helps give you a little bit of perspective of just how insignificant Xbox is in the Japanese market and also kind of just how small the Japanese market is overall in the main in the main conversation gaming. It's it's weird because Japan is such a critical country to the to the history of games because obviously honestly if it weren't for Nintendo like would console gaming would gaming in general even just be a thing the way it is today? Almost certainly not. And and you just look at all the publishers and developers over the time and what a massive role the Japanese market has played in the games industry. But you look at where the games industry is now and it's really kind of left Japan behind in a way because it's just all about it's all about the Western market and Japan's all about that mobile shit. And it's just it's a it's a different it's a different beast to the point where Sony doesn't even really care about the Japanese market nearly as much. They've largely conceded that territory to, to Nintendo and, and, of course, mobile. Crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, just some really interesting context. Obviously, 
I hope that provides for you the fact that <laughs> the obvious fact that there is a zero percent chance Xbox ever becomes fiercely competitive with either PlayStation or Nintendo in Japan. It's just never going to happen. But again, like I said, I think their area of opportunity lies in their cloud streaming and in Game Pass, obviously, and they know that as well. That's why they're targeting the Asian market in general so much right now is because they know that's a very mobile-centric part of the world and that they can probably try to get countries like Korea and Japan by getting them on cloud streaming and Game Pass for your smartphone or your tablet. Now, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now, before we jump out of it all together, let's go into a couple quick ones. we got some important news stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have yeah, four, five. Let's run through them, guys. Okay, so confirmed. VGC confirms that Rockstar is offering a significant launch window discount on the new-gen version of Grand Theft Auto V, with PlayStation receiving an even bigger price cut than Xbox users. PlayStation users can upgrade to the next-gen version for only $10, whereas Xbox users can do it for $20. Now, the reason for this being as part of the marketing agreement ship between um, Rockstar and PlayStation Take-Two, PlayStation's uh, Plus subscribers and PlayStation users get the multiplayer half basically of the upgrade included as a perk so that's why they're only paying 10 instead of 20 dollars it's a perk for playstation it's part of that marketing agreement and, and, and strategy um whereas xbox who doesn't have that kind of partnership with grand theft auto with rockstar with take two are getting 20 dollars. it's basically 10 for the campaign and 10 for the multiplayer now this is only a limited time discount because once i think it's after the summer um, the price on both platforms is supposed to shoot up to, I believe, $40. So really, really interesting. I saw a lot of people being salty and pissy about that. Uh, guys, this is about a marketing agreement that was pre-announced and and talked about way, way, way before any of this. Um, so that is just them making good on their deal with Sony. That is not them showing a blind favoritism towards Sony over Xbox, although it is a massive, massive win for them in that optics war. If you have both consoles, why the hell would you get the upgrade on Xbox, right? All right, next up, Resident Evil's 2, 3, and 7 officially coming to next-gen consoles. Uh, VGC reports that Resident Evil 7 and its recent remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3 are coming to Xbox Series consoles later in the year, Capcom have announced. In a tweet, the developer revealed that the upgrades will be free for existing owners. However, it didn't share a release date for the new-gen versions. Hopefully, we'll get this before Halloween. Next up, Blizzard have announced plans to make several World of Warcraft reveals over the next few months. Headlining the upcoming announcements is the reveal of the next expansion for World of Warcraft, which is subject to an online preview scheduled to take place on April 19th. So, nerds. I guess that's Xbox related now. I put it in there with like an asterisk. I, I don't know. You tell me. Next up, Electronic Arts Motive Studio is set to hold a new developer live stream for the upcoming Dead Space remake on March 11th. So this Friday, quote, Motive invites you to the latest in their series of early looks at the development and what goes on into making the remake of, a, of the game. Uh, as the announcement read on Monday, the live stream will take place at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, the 11th. And lastly, VGC reports that Atari have completely have Atari have completed the acquisition of long-running video game database Moby Games for $1.5 million. A press release said at the time stated that Atari was making a number of strategic investments, including an option to buy the assets of Moby Games at a price of $1.5 million, which, quote, may conclude by the end of March 2022. The deal has now been done, and Atari is now in full ownership of the renowned database, which has been active since 1999. I did not realize Moby Games had been around that long, and for those un unfamiliar... Moby Games is basically like IMDb, IMDb for gaming, but like on crack because it's way more, 
information loaded and full of really, really good, really good data. So it's a great, you know, if you ever want to know about who worked on what game or all the intricacies of, uh, of that, those kinds of facts and information, Moby Games, a great resource to you. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Thank you for hanging in. You guys, let's start to wind down the show. Pour yourself a glass of non-alcoholic Merlot, if that's even a thing. And let's go over to the Xbox Wire, where, they are in, where they're talking about the 14 new games, new notable games hidden in the Xbox this week. Now, I would really like to start downloading some of these and trying them out and, and then recommending one or two. Uh, but let's be honest, I can barely tie my shoes. I, I, I can't commit to any more, any more promises, you know. But here we go. We have 14 new games coming out this week on Xbox. Let's just quickly name them, maybe make fun of them. Talk about what we had to look forward to if you're looking for something new. Maybe Elden Ring's already pissed you off and you got to move on to something else. Who knows? Dawn of Monsters is out March 8th, so at the time of listening to this, looks like some kind of kaiju battle game. Kind of cool, maybe. Splash Cars comes out March 9th. This looks like a game I don't understand. And then Aztec Forgotten Gods comes out March 10th. This looks fairly interesting. It is in the 3D variety, so I care. Dungeon Cool Dungeon Color comes out March 10th. Looks kind of like Bomberman, if I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna lie to you, if I'm gonna be completely honest about that. And then that's that's really nothing compared to this next one where we got Hotel Transylvania Scary Dash Tale Adventures coming March 10th. Now, I, I I'm not gonna buy this. I'm not gonna play this, but I'm not gonna lie. Mildly interested in giving this a try because I do love these shitty licensed cash grabby games, and uh, we don't get many of them anymore. So Hotel Transylvania game kind of excites me. A third person little linear platforming action game probably i'm up for it anyway the last cube comes out march 10th this is just color and aesthetic i don't even see a game radioactive dwarfs evil from the sewers this literally looks like an rct tv so vrc vcr oh my god what's happening to my brain it's a it's a game with with skeletons retro pixel racers comes out march 10th this makes me miss the old snes game rock and roll racers of course rpg time the legend of right comes out march 10th and oh boy looks like some kind of rpg little paper mache like a cross between like a like a dragon uh what's that game called dragon dragon warrior dungeon dragon whatever submerged hidden depths comes out march 10th there are two kids they're on a boat they're trying to row by themselves and i'm terrified for them time loader comes out march 10th and this is like chibi robo i think and then wwe 2k22 comes out march 11th and there's a guy with a beard looks like he's probably from the southern united states and he's punching another guy who looks like nacho libre who i believe is jack black now Young Souls, March 10th. It's coming out, but they didn't include a gameplay screenshot. They just showed a key art, so I don't know what this game looks like. But it's coming to Game Pass for PC and console, so you can you can give it a try if you want. Cosmos Bit, March 11th. Looks like a little side-scrolling Mega Man clone. Possibly a fun game. Why not? 8-bit little uh, Mega Man clone. Could be a good time. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our new game releases. And let me just remind you here, while we're here. Games of Gold for the month of, of March 2022. We've got The Flame and the Flood available all month to you. We've got Street Power Soccer and available starting on the 16th through April 15th. Sacred Two Fallen Angels is available now until the 15th, so make sure you download it. you only got a few days left to make it happen. And then finally, SpongeBob's Truth or Square, available for the latter half of the month. Another don't forget to download, because if you do forget to download, I'll, I'll know, and I'll, I'll come to your house, and I will... I will I will put eraser shavings in your toaster 
So the next time you try to make toast in the morning, it will smell like rubber and you will be scared and you will unplug your toaster and you will say that is unusable and you will throw it out. Then you will drive down to your local Walmart or equivalent on depending on your region and you will go into the home goods aisle or the home aisle or the appliance aisle. I don't know where you buy a toaster and you'll buy another toaster. It may be as low as $12 because I've seen some really cheap toasters, but they have some really nice toasters. If you really like going all out, if you're a toaster aficionado, you can spend upwards of $200 on a new toaster. And that's the kind of thing that I can offer is, is the opportunity for you to discover the next toaster in your life. And so with that information, guys, I want you to think long and hard about making that, infirm, that, that informed purchasing decision. But now it is time that I, I, I part with you, okay, guys? For the week, I, I think we had a, a pretty good episode here. I tried to avoid cursing as much as possible. I tried to remain productive and, and on track as much in my discussion and my ranting and my rambling as, as, much, as much as I could. So, guys, give me your feedback. Again, this isn't to be like, oh, boo-hoo, woe is me. I need more attention. But I'll be honest. We're, we're getting fewer comments these days than we used to. So if you guys have anything you'd like to add in, Start a conversation. Tell me why I'm stupid. Throw in something goofy. The more feedback we have from the audience, the better the show is. So you guys let me know um, by writing in on the show. I, I always appreciate it. Please subscribe. We're over the 900 mark of subscribers on YouTube. I really appreciate that. We're on the road to 1,000. Let's make it happen, baby. Uh, but even if you don't do any of that, you know, leave a nice review. I always appreciate it. But even if you don't do any of that, don't like, don't subscribe, whatever. I don't care. I just really appreciate you guys being here today, listening to the show, and supporting it in any way possible. Really, you know, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but really, it truly does mean a lot. Xbox On is a big labor of love for me, and it would not be even remotely worth doing if there were no one on the receiving end of this. So I really do owe you a great a great debt for supporting um, this show. Thank you all so much. But, you know, if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. I'm on YouTube at Xbox, uh, the Xbox On Podcast on YouTube. Lightning Extreme on both Twitch and YouTube for my second channel. But guys, if you don't want to follow me on, on social media, if you don't want to watch the streams on Monday, if you don't want to subscribe to the podcast, that's fine. You listen to the end of the show. That's weird. It's weird for you to be listening to this much this late into the show. But the show's over. You can turn it off. You can go switch. Switch to a different podcast. Okay, you made it to the end of this podcast. Switch. Go listen to music. Turn on Spotify. You guys, I was listening to Mayday Parade on my way home from work today because I still listen to the same three bands all the time. You can go listen to Mayday Parade. Literally select anything else. You're not going to get any nugget of information if you keep on this podcast, guys. I'm literally just burning out the clock. This is a huge waste of everyone's time. Until next week, guys, power your dreams.